0: Tuesday uh, outside the great city of Philadelphia, and today I'm down at the Ropeadope Room, and uh, have the great pleasure of interviewing an artist who will have a new record out on Ropeadope this year, Mr. Julian Pollock. Julian, welcome. How are you?
1: Good, thank you. How are you doing today?
0: <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. Um, the more the challenge comes, the more the more we uh, we rise to it, right? Um, I'll say a few things here. I'll read from from your bio just uh, just to embarrass you as we get started. Oh, um, but I won't go too far. Okay. Uh, it seems to me as reading this today, it was like, uh, you know, it started in Berkeley, California, headed to New York City, and then apparently did everything right after that, <laughs> <laughs> OK, because then the names start to come in. Studied with Brad Meltel, uh, you know, went on to work with quite a few artists that we we're familiar with here at Ropado. but um, on the road with Marcus Miller. Is that correct?
1: Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes.
0: So you have to be doing just about everything right, um, I'm guessing, in order to, in order for that to happen. Unless of <laughs> course it took thirty years, but I can tell that it didn't. So <laughs> w- welcome, and I want to I want to uh, dig in a little bit. Uh, I like to start with this. Like, what's where's the foundation? What was your what was your musical upbringing sure. from your family?
1: Yeah. So yeah, both my parents are musicians. Uh, my dad's a saxophonist, uh, composer, uh, and conductor, um, mostly actually in classical music, uh, started as uh, a jazz musician. Um, and then my mom is a concert pianist and lecturer. Um, and my mom actually was my piano teacher since I was a kid. Uh, since I was, she started teaching me around five, much to my, uh, uh, dismay of wanting to actually have to work hard to learn to play an instrument. Um, and uh, so yeah, my, parents, you know, this, my whole family's musical, same with my grandparents, and uh, uh, it's been passed down basically. And so it's wonderful coming from a musical household. And I also had the opportunity in Berkeley to uh, study with a really wonderful jazz pianist named Susan Muscarello, who started the California Jazz Conservatory or the Jazz School. So what was known. A lot of people came through there. I went through the Berkeley High School program, which uh, uh, gave, I mean, there, there's been so many names that have gone through there, like Josh Redman, Ambrose Eke- Eke- Muzure, uh Benny Green, Justin Brown, Thomas Pridgeon, uh, mm. just to name a few. So there's been a I feel very fortunate to have been able to have an upbringing that had hosted a lot of inspiration and, and, uh, community, right? Yeah, community, he, he, commu- exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt.
1: No, absolutely. And then, uh, as you said, I, you know, I got I had also had the opportunity to go to New York, uh, and, and live there for a long time and study there and go to college and, and immerse myself in the scene. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> so so um i mean was it pretty much you you began studying piano and then you're like that that's it like uh, uh you know w- what was that point at which you're like i'm definitely 100 sure that this is my instrument
1: i think pretty early on i think i always knew that the music was something that i wanted to do and i think for a lot of people who come from musical families it's like you might be young and think that you're going to have, you, you know, I might be an architect or I may be, uh, you know, do sports, but it's, it's, there's so many musicians who have like, especially if both parents are musicians, it's almost like, you've seen this way of life. You've seen people, your parents are creating and the idea of becoming older every, every year. It's like, of course I want to do that. So, um, and I'd say, you know, by the time, I, I also had a wonderful opportunity of my middle school years. Uh, I, I went to this school in the Bay Area called the Crowden School, which is a classical music school in the sense that uh, every morning started with two hours of music before academics began. And that, those were incredibly formative years, uh, especially technically learning, just like all the basics of, I mean, we were taught theory, we played, you know, I played, the, I actually played the double bass in the orchestra. And um, it was just uh, a really yeah a for- formative years of learning skills that basically paid off high school through college and then into my professional career. So I was That's really great. That. Yeah.
0: yeah, and 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 the Bay Area, of course, Berkeley. I mean, you know, I it, it makes sense. I, I even looking at the uh, the window behind you, it, it feels it feels warm and comforting and supportive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do, I, I interview people and sometimes the story is completely different and I'm sure you've met people, you know, the story is I grew up in the middle of nowhere and nobody was really, really into music in my family. And, uh, there wasn't anybody to really connect with. And it wasn't until I got to New York or I got to Berkeley or, you know, uh, Berkeley school of music, you know, where I really found people that were, that were similar to me, you know? So it's really interesting to see, to see the... That somewhere in the United States there are there are comforting and, and supportive music communities. That right. Can, yeah. People no. That can the the Bay Area of. is
1: very nurturing for for young musicians. I think that's one of the reasons there are so many uh, names who have come up through through the Bay Area and and on to successful careers. Um, but honestly, I also, I really almost find it more interesting when people come come from nowhere. And it's it's almost more amazing when, when you hear, you know, oh that person grew up in blah 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 and didn't have any musical family. No sorta of, it was just mm. that's just them. <laughs> you know, it's like they weren't given a helping hand. They were they, they were self-made, you know.
0: Well you know, and it, there is a point just, I think when the community does connect, you know, and and, and that is something that we emphasize regularly uh, you know when I'm interviewing and, and talking with people on live streams because it's such a model that that's my fascination with 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 musicians and the way people interact is that it's a model for how you can interact and be supportive of each other and still be diverse right uh, and uh, a lot of people in other professions don't really have that right. uh so i i think it's wonderful yeah so let's jump into some influences i'm not gonna uh put you on the spot for a top five but you know i, I sense that the let me back up a second so Piano, um, one of a few, really, really a few intru- instruments that, uh, is also a composing instrument, right? I mean, yeah. p- people are primarily composing on piano, guitar. Um, is that one of the reasons that piano is so, so exciting to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think just the combination of my mom being a pianist. I mean, when I was my middle school years, like in the late nineties, early two thousands, when like, you know. Being in a rock band was a cool thing. I, I played a little guitar and you know, but I mean, it was never a thing for me because uh, you know, I'm my chops on the piano. I was just able to just do way, way, way more. Mm. Um, but I think you know, the, I was having a conversation actually yesterday with a student about this. Is like uh, the the wonderful thing about the piano is it's a it's so visual, and I think I mean, that's why composers and producers and everybody like it's it's not it's not the main instrument, but it's just for a certain type of way a certain way of making music when it comes to large scale you know if you're composing or producing it just lends itself to the best because of its range the kind of ease with which you can play it and then uh also the history of it you know it's so it's like
0: uh for the math it's laid out it's laid out simply right right it's linear it's linear i remember trying to play guitar and i just the math of the way the strings were placed, it just confused the heck out of me.
1: Right, 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 right. (laughs) So yeah, and I think uh, for me as as an artist, like just having all that training as a young person, it was just like, well, yeah, I'm gonna continue playing piano because I already have the training. It's, I'm already good at, I'm already good enough at it. Why not continue with this? I'm not gonna go and pick up playing another instrument and start from scratch, like. You know, I know there's a lot of like multi instrumentalists out there who can just pick up anything. I'm definitely not one of those people.
0: (laughs) Some some of whom you have performed with. Louis Cato comes to mind. uh, Oh yeah, right out right out of the gate. Uh, Yeah, man, he's uh, incredible. Music this morning where he where he did his album and did everything. So uh, interesting. Um, So I I see a lot of uh, two things I want to touch on. One influences as as it relates to. Uh, not just not just what you've done with with others, but really primarily about how it shapes this album, and also I see a lot of uh, I see a lot of pedals and <laughs> and and, and, and gearboxes and things uh, around you. So yeah. hopefully those two intertwine or take them as two separate.
1: Yeah. Well, you know it's uh, it's it's interesting, and it kind of uh, leads back to uh, I've always. Uh, Been very interested in technology, Um, and with technology, I feel like in popular forms of music, there's a lot of emphasis on technology. So I've always been interested, you know, like maybe not even super in love with the latest pop music, but I just remember even being in college and like driving around, like going a store and listening to some pop hit and being like, man, how how do they make that? You know, not even like, oh, man, like, I love this song. It's just like a fascination with like, how is that put together? And I think that um, that combined with also, you know, coming from this background of, you know, uh, kind of more traditional mentalities of acoustic music and kind of traditional Western training, those two things eventually collided in my life. Um, But in terms of influences, You know, I'm a piano player, obviously, and so that started with a lot of piano players that everybody loves, you know, like Oscar Peterson, Herbie Hancock, uh, Bill Evans, Keith Jarrett. Uh, Later on in life, like in college, I became obsessed with Brad Meldow as many young pianists, many pianists in general. I mean, Brad kind of, to me, in my opinion, kind of changed the piano and and the approach to jazz piano, just like Michael Breckert did to the saxophone. Hmm. And, And... to a degree that in a way you everybody almost sort of sounds like that person, if they subscribe to certain aesthetic decisions when they're playing. And for me, to be honest, in this interview, you know, like my first couple of records as, you know, like a 22, you know, 20 year old and 22 year old. I just wanted to sound like Brett, you know, and to to a point that I sometimes regret, <laughs> you know, putting putting records out. Uh, I wish I would have in a way waited till where I am now, where I feel like I have a little bit more, <laughs> hopefully a little bit more of my own aesthetic. Mm. Um, mm. But, um, but yeah, and, and like, it was cool, uh, you know, uh, back in the day uh, there was a Carnegie hall put together this thing where, uh, you know, uh, Brad Meldow did an open masterclass with, with a few pianists, and we, in my trio, we got to be one of those, one of those, uh, one of those trios and it was it was incredible he played with the guys who i play with and uh that was a, definitely a pivotal moment and then um but getting into where i am now I, at, at a certain point i think it was like 25 or something like that I, i've been living in new york uh you know post post grad and uh i just kind of came became a little disgruntled with myself and with my relationship to the jazz scene at large in new york hmm. um I don't, a lot of people will, you know, who who can be in a similar situation might kind of like say, oh man, the jazz scene, blah, blah, blah. But I really look at it more as just my, the way I was uh, interfacing with the jazz scene at large. And I kind of said to myself, uh, I want to learn to be a producer, I want to learn how to do this electronic music thing because it's so compelling. You know, I mean, at at the time, I remember like around 2014, 2013, like the EDM craze was just so large. I mean, it was it was just it was just mind boggling how how huge things like Skrillex and Zed, Porter Robinson, like all these, you know, young producers. Like it was like the equivalent of like rock stars in the 80s. Yeah. So I said, you know what? There's something here I want to learn how to do and uh i basically said i don't care about being a jazz musician anymore and even the word jazz musician at this point i have a lot of problems with i'm actually much more a fan of just giving it some other name whether it's bam or something because like with the there's so much baggage that comes with the word jazz like not only politically but just intrinsically with genre um which is another reason why i'm glad i'm working with you guys (laughs) there you go Uh, and uh And, uh, but essentially yeah, I, I, I kind of shed the skin of saying, I need to be an acoustic pianist with, you know, playing, you know, performing arts centers and, you know, all this kind of stuff that came from my background, and like a lot of like demons. And uh, for me, that was the hardest point so far in my artistic career, because it was just such a like, okay, I have to kind of take my ego out of this. But uh, over those, like, you know, I'd say for five years after that, the story will wrap up very soon, I promise. We and, have
0: time. <laughs> I, I want to hear it. I love the uh, frank and clearness of this. Um, uh,
1: by kind of diving into learning electronic music, days and days spent on YouTube, uh, talking to people, seeking out people online, seeking about people in New York, just like how to do this. Um, was also in conjunction at a time when I met a very special group of people in New York uh, that formed uh, a band that I'm now a part of called The Lesson GK which hosted a jam session every week for about 8 years on the lower East side at Garlene's Grocery. Every week it was packed and it was a night of all improvisation m- mostly in, you know, uh, concerning like progressive soul and experimental hip hop. And I met some really uh, influential musicians there who really kind of helped me figure out like what I want to do. And some of those guys were my friends, Christian Almeron, another keyboard player and Nicholas mm-hmm. Um, And it kind of opened my eyes to how, uh, you know, I, uh, these instruments here on the left and right of me are instruments. They're not, I kind of had this idea, like the Keith Jarrett idea, idea that, oh, this you can't emote on the Fender Rhodes because it's not a real acoustic instrument. I, I had that. And when, mm-hmm. when I was with, you know, I always knew, okay, you know, Herbie Hancock, everybody uh all Z- like amazing. But I, I feel like I had a new respect after joining this group and seeing how folks like Nick Semrad, Corey Henry, uh, Christian, uh, Sean Martin, all, all these guys are approaching these. These are equal to the piano. Yeah. And not only that then there's all this technology stuff that I was learning so by putting all these things together and just shedding ego I kind of landed on this uh, at least this phase I'm in right now with uh, being an electronic composer and improviser uh,
0: That's with, beautiful Mains Sorry. yeah it's beautiful I mean I mean the, the way the way you phrase that and and I'm, I've always been fascinated with it I, I have the uh, fortune or misfortune of having lived exactly through that time. Right. So, you know, the who in 1971, you know, when the, or who's next, maybe it was 70, 71, 72. And that, and that synthesizer repeat was the beginning of the song, "Baba O'Reilly. And everybody was talking about it. I mean, you just watched it start. Everybody just started talking about this, you know, like, well, it's not real. It's this and it's that. And I think for a long time people were, were, playing around with it and substituting it for the piano. Right. And that happens with a lot of instruments. And so once you get through that, uh, now you have generations removed, the people who are seasoned. So it's really fascinating to see you, you know, to hear you say, and see you say, I'm approaching this from the perspective of this is its own instrument and and there's no, you know, and there are elements, obviously it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, not to get too uh too out of the zone, but you know, it it's it's like life. I mean, you know, you can't do things the same way your grandfather did. You know, you're a representation, a new representation of that uh and and very different. So, it's really fascinating. So the album is called Mains? Yes. I need you to explain the title.
1: Sure. So, um, over the years uh, i love I, I just uh, I love to cook <laughs> I love going out to eat I love being on the road going out with friends I love going out with my wife like that's one of our favorite things to do is just like go out to some really cool restaurant you know that's like got kind of like a forward-thinking menu and just like the whole idea of farm to table like so that's and and, and I, I've taken up cooking and it's like I'd say it's my main hobby at this point uh, and uh, it's every time I cook, I always, I'm so aware how similar it is to what I'm doing in the studio or on the stage, just in terms of like how ingredients fit together, how spices fit together, proportion, presentation, all those things factor into the way you kind of enjoy a meal. And, um, so, um, my first like album as J3PO is called small plates. Um, and the reason it was called small plates is obviously because of the idea of food. Like, you know, you go to these new American restaurants and everything is like small plates with your drinks and you kind of have something like an avocado with some red chili flake or something like that. Or, you know, it's not like you go out and get your, you know, all American, you know, here's your meat, here's your carbohydrate, here's your, you know, your green and you're going to get a soda and you're going to get a dessert and it's all going to be nine ninety nine. No, it's, it's tastes. And um, so the idea behind the album was that it was like, you know, little tastes some tracks were like a minute, some were like 45 seconds, maybe some were a little bit more developed, but I kind of already had an idea that I wanted to just present these little tastes. And then if that was successful for me personally, then I would want to kind of develop those ideas more into mains. You know, you go to these oh, yeah. restaurants, small plates, and then your means mm-hmm. and i feel like i've taken the concepts concepts from that previous album and expounded upon them for this album so pretty much all the tunes on here the main ones the mains are all you know more thought out ideas that are mostly a's and b's rather than just like some little idea mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's mains and uh just follow-up to small plates
0: I, I love it i'm waiting we're ready for desserts you know that was coming We uh, treat next Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting to hear that. And and I like that, that there's, there's more thought, you know, every, every album has a title for a reason. Some, some are, some are very serious and some are not. But I think uh, the message that I'm getting is the care and thought that you put into it as if you were preparing a a dish. Uh, And, you know, there's a certain uh, intimate connection there. For people to hear that, you know, Christian Scott mentions music uh, should have his music ha- has has some nutritional value, you know, and it's another way to kind of express uh, the difference between, you know, uh, a recording like this, uh, and you know, say like a, a pop hit that's just that's you know kind of manufactured and thrown together, which is which is sort of like that U.S. dinner that you that you. <laughs> Mentioned before at the drive-through, right? So I'm 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 fascinated with that, and I think that people um, we we've seen uh, throughout uh, 2020 and into 2021, which you know I guess is kind of the same thing historically. uh, At this point, um, people are stopping to think uh, about. So it's a, on the other side if you take you're preparing a meal and you're preparing this album and you're taking the time to think about what ingredients are going into it and how they fit together and how it's going to taste and look and feel to the person who's receiving it uh i've noticed that people are doing that on the other side now mm. They're stopping to say uh what do i want to listen to what kind of music do i like because you know radio and streaming are so ubiquitous that it's just like bam put it on Let's go. uh, Sure. Here's my playlist of things I like, but that's kind of like just throwing together dinner from whatever happened to be in the refrigerator. Right. That's not really stopping to say what kind of mood am I in? What would I like to hear this evening? Can I schedule an album for tonight? And we're seeing a lot of that. And it's really it's really encouraging. So it's a beautiful thing. So exciting
1: time for sure. Right now.
0: I would love to uh, uh, do a show with you as we move towards release date. Have you ever thought about putting the camera in the kitchen and and <laughs> and, and and preparing a meal while the album plays? You could do your al- album release party in the kitchen.
1: I love it. I absolutely love it.
0: Yeah. All right. Nobody's ever seen that happen. So we'll, 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 we'll cook, we'll cook together. Um, That's, that's amazing. So um, why don't you talk a little bit for, for, for the record here about um, how this came about, if you don't mind. And as far as, you know, the the actual recording and production and uh, are there other players and on the album?
1: So uh, it's kind of interesting, and I think uh, obviously you're, you're gonna you can edit what we're talking about right now. Yes.
0: Oh. I can. I'm not. A, I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a great editor, but please go okay. ahead. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, just because some things may are. Uh, we I think we have a couple singles in the in the oven, that uh, may may also uh, contribute to what I say. But as of right now, the album is. Uh, it was pretty much all written shortly like it started right before the pandemic hit and then throughout the pandemic i kept working on it but none of it was uh recorded in the same room with anybody and not only that i actually there's only a couple guests on 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 the record um and i think part of that is due to the fact that i wanted to be able to create this thing with all hands on deck from the things that I've learned over the past chunk of time, and um, that being said, you know the main—I think in my in life the, the main other influence that I have besides piano players is drummers. Um, and on the record, I have a lot uh, lent my, my the the drummer from my trio.
0: Oops. I'm here. Oh,
1: the drummer from my. Uh, the trio that I was touring with shortly before the pandemic start, uh, and the uh, band leader of Lesson GK, Lenny Deox Reese, he, uh, he plays on a couple of the tracks, but he, there's also, we had a sample pack where we went into a studio, and we I played a bunch of keyboard loops, he played a bunch of drum loops, I edited and mixed them, they were put out with jam card on splice, but oddly enough, I ended up using a ton of those loops on the record, but, and and uh because of what we do our our, our music the style is so loop-based it worked really really well nice um the other drummer that i had on the album is the drummer of Hoop, uh, who uh who tours for uh moonchild effa atorama jr um, and he's a great drummer he plays on silver lining um, but other than that uh it's it's pretty much all sample based and keyboards it's an electronic album hmm. and uh the idea behind it is that when you listen through the speakers you know it gives you as we said this really prepared meal or this very it's like it's to me it's like a painting in the sense but I don't I could go out and, and and I probably will do some solo shows like I did at Nam uh, last, well, last 2019 I guess that was the last one no 2020 mm-hmm. last year where I DJ and play at the same time. And that's cool. I love that because you get like the full effects from the record. But I also fully know that the record is going to be toured with live musicians. It's like the trio and we'll be taking the themes and the ideas from the record. But when you come to the show, the experience, you'll recognize things, but it's going to be different and it's going to be a journey. And it's going to be something that it's going to be a reason to come to the show is that you're going to get an experience that's different from the album. Mm -hmm. But um, I like the idea of making an electronic music album with cuts that are like three minutes long, four minutes long, because things can be succinct. And I also feel that records, they're just different than a live show. And and, and I think for the past 40, 50 years, 60 years, ever since recording was invented, it was like, we're trying to capture this live performance. But then along the way, and i feel like the beatles were definitely the the breaking point it was like hold on this is a different medium Mm. so um you know and i've I've made acoustic records where everybody's in the same room those are great i love that love listening back and feeling that but i also love this idea of an electronic composition and i want to be able to put that out as a valid statement so um and I, I do feel that there are certain details and certain artistic things that you can do when you're making an electronic album that you can't do when you're you know playing with an acoustic trio or playing yeah. live so it's just i think it's a balance and i'm really looking forward to the you know pandemic being over and being able to explore the themes and the ideas and the feelings of the album with a lot of musicians who also understand electronic music like lenny the reese like nick semrad like antoine katz like all these, all my friends, like I'm, I fully intend to go out and play with them and, and explore these ideas again.
0: It's a really interesting time because um, you know we, we I, I'm I'm so looking forward to the emergence from COVID, I guess if you will. Yeah. Because I think uh, I'm I'm a student of the human psyche, and uh, I watch how words can can intimate what people are thinking uh maybe not exactly what they're saying but you know everyone is saying well you know after covid after covid and when things return and they say oh but not to normal so there's this weird hedging going on but connecting that with what you just said about the Beatles and them seeing the accurate capture of a live experience as not the only thing that you can do with this recorded medium uh Now the line between uh, a live performance and a live streamed or digital performance visually is going to be more blurred than I think people are expecting. Uh, I see concerts happening where you're live, but the cameras are also on and it's broadcast around the world. And I wonder what introduction that brings in. I've been waiting for the music video to die since I got into the music business because, you know, it's like pop music. It's like, okay, I saw Michael Jackson. I don't need to see the rest sort of, right? Because every time I do, all I can think of is Michael Jackson or James Brown, right? So I get it. Oh, and you have dancers now too. Got it. Okay. That's all the same, right? And videos are exactly the same. Like most music videos look like Uh, a promotional piece for an album (laughs) or an MTV (laughs) start, you know, that like, that's what they look like. And, and because that's the intent, that's the only purpose they've really been used for. But now we have a new sort of inter being kind of purpose for video. So I'm really interested to see, and and you're on the edge. I mean, if you're, you know, the way you're creating and the way you're pushing ahead with you know taking away the line of uh, organic or acoustic and 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 electronic i'm really excited to see you get out play live but also see how that pans out with uh with interactive video or video i guess you can't really call it interactive but i i think it's there there's a certain intimacy to live stream concerts that i think people are missing yes Yeah. yeah
1: Well, and it's interesting you, you say all of that and I, I because I think that you guys, you know, I mean with with Snarky kind of started a whole mm. you kind of reset the game. Good point. You know, I mean family dinner is like, you know, I mean it, at this point that that that's like a node in musical evolution, you know, yeah. especially like with Corey's solo on Lingus. I mean, the whole concert and the whole idea of it was so revolutionary. And I think that, yeah, like what you're saying, like these live stream concerts, you you go to the concert, the concert, something might be missing. But if you get the live stream, you're you're getting a more intimate uh, experience. And I think that there's something so cool and so positive about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, as an older man who has been to, you know, thousands upon thousands of live shows, I'm looking forward to not hearing the guy next to me make a bunch of noise when he comes to sit down or complaining or eating dinner or dropping things or, you know, doing whatever, you know, that's interrupting my enjoyment of the music. I'm not saying I want to sit at home all the time, but I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. And it's funny you should say that about Snarky Puppy, because we knew at the time that this was, you know, so simple. And yet so different.
1: Revolutionary.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. It, it, it's almost at a point now where I feel like by giving uh, the, an audience and fans that type of experience, <laughs> it's almost like we can't we can't even go back from that now, like in a way. If you're not giving your fans some sort of video experience to be intimate, you, you know, like, it's, it's too good.
0: Well, I, I agree with all that except the words giving. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that, that as, as this develops, and this is very, very important in this process, is uh you know we, again it's it's existing ideology or the ways of thinking right so we it's you walk into a bar in the city and they say it's 20 bucks to get in and you're like who's playing tonight y- you just pay it right you're like it's going to be good this this bar right you may not know who the band is right but you're at home and you pull up your thing you know your computer or or and strangely enough you're able to to, to now stream this stuff on big cinema in your home with great audio and they're like, oh, it's 20 bucks. And the people are like, what? Hey. <laughs> that needs to change, you know, people, you know, yeah. my pitch. And as long as, you know, I'm in, I'm in a recorded setting right now is watch what happens when you pay artists $20 to watch their live show from your house. When enough people do that, it's going to blow your mind. Wow. It's amazing. You know when there's a basis because everything i see in this business is like you know you're limited by finances most of the time right for creativity so
1: do you do you think as as a veteran in the music industry like you know like i, I think a lot of people you know cite like the end of the 90s is like you know obviously that's the music industry has always been tough like everybody knows that but there was i feel like in the air even though i was young at the time like You know, until Napster, basically, like there there was ways to make money. Then we had all this kind of like dark ages and now we're kind of slowly making our way out of that. Do you feel like we're going to continue out of that and we will actually have a flourishing financial system in the music industry? Or how how do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I came into this in the in the worst part, but I've been a, a music, you know, in two thousand five or so, right? So it was it, it was it was like a Mad Max scenario, you know, it was just like how, how are we gonna let's put this car together and go. Um, but I've you know I've been a music fan my whole life, so I've watched it. I mean, I had four hundred vinyl records by the time I was eighteen years old. Uh, I started collecting vinyl when I was ten. Um, in the next 20 or 30 years, I didn't even accumulate that many CDs uh, as I had vinyl. Um, but I've always been, you know, I've embraced the new technology and jumped in and stream this and that. The, the thing that I that I would want to say to answer your question is it's not a monolith. Um, the music business is diverse and broad and the music business has probably n- been doing well the whole time. <laughs> Uh, the question is, just like everything else in society, how broad, because it's a creative endeavor, how broad and and equal or fair is that success? Mm. So I think there's, you know, I mean, Ed Sheeran made $400 million last year. I mean, that is, you know, you can't say the whole thing's broken if a cat can do that, right? Um, but at what expense? So I'm hoping that we're coming back around to a time where people can invest a little more money in um, music that is going to have that nutritional value and that long-lasting impact rather than just the Big Mac uh, drive-through thing. You know, I'd like people to go to the grocery store and pick up the the right ingredients and go home and cook that good dinner (laughs) rather than just driving through the Wendy's drive-through, you know, and that's what a lot of the the what I call the entertainment business is about today. And also from a tech perspective, this is another piece of it. You can't stream it all; you have to go buy the stuff and buy get high quality downloads and put the headphones on. Um, that's part of that whole process too. So, I, COVID's had an interesting effect on that. I, like I said earlier, I think people are paying attention. Um, I liken this a lot to impressionist art in the late 1800s, mm. early 1900s. I, you know, Monet and Renoir were not starving, but let me tell you, they were they were scrambling to get somebody to pay their rent so they could spend some time painting. Uh, truth of the matter is they were gonna paint anyway. And, and fortunately they did. Uh, and a hundred and some years later, despite being dissed at the time and not, not even commercially accessible, but criticized uh, by art critics and, and a system that you know didn't support them that lasted you know the popular artists of the time i don't even, does anybody know who they were you know
1: very very interesting point very interesting point it's something i i also think about is yeah exactly like who there's almost no way to know exactly what it was like to live circa 1900 with artists like that or debussy and Ravel, and like yeah, now they're, they are gods to us. But at the time, perhaps they were not really gods to their, I mean, obviously to some of the people around them, but they were not, they didn't loom as large in the kind of public domain. And uh, you know, I'll be curious to see what does really last now. You know? uh,
0: my, my opinion, uh, sit, sitting where I am, um, and I start with the bias, and then I go against the bias of being rope ro- ro- do- Uh, And then I just go back and just, I, I, you know, people say, well, you're really good at at putting playlists together. and I'm like, no, I'm not. I just put 20 songs from Robotope on at random and press play. And I'm amazed. Um, I did just think it takes people, you know, this is it. I mean, it's not us, it's not me. It's the community that you're involved in the people that you've referenced and the people that you've played with and the, the people that are out there from snarky puppy to Marcus Miller to this is in my opinion, one of the greatest music creation times in the history of the planet. And it really just takes people to kind of like tune in and slow down and and, and listen and hear what it is and stop trying to genre categorize it uh, and and take it for what it is. I, I do believe that. I've never said it publicly, but I do believe that this is it. This is the time.
1: <laughs>
0: and, and so for that, I'll, I'll close it. Thank you so much for, uh, your contribution and pushing forward uh, and as you kind of reference that we will have some interesting ways of rolling this album out and I want to encourage fans who watch this to uh, watch carefully and to make sure you're following on Bandcamp and subscribing to J3PO uh, so that you're on top of and hip to what's what's going to happen because some people are going to be in the know before others. So that's my, my pitch. Julian Pollock, J3PO, anything else you'd like to say to the fans before we wrap?
1: Uh, man, it's been, it's been a pleasure talking with you this past 50 minutes, and I look forward to more, and I look forward to the release of the album and continue to work with you guys, and just the community at large, everything you, everything you mentioned.